0: In part seven today, I want to talk to you about this planted or buried, Uh, planted or buried. We all go through tough times in life. We all do really stupid things from time to time. Some of us more than others. Uh, We all get tested by God. The enemy attacks us. When this happens, fear and anxiety and stress begin to lie to us. And we start to hear this rumor in our head from Satan that says, um, you're going to be buried here. There's no reason for you to hope anymore in this area. It's over and done. It's not going to get any better. And then we, we, we start to look at people on Facebook and, in life, and they look so happy. And we have this thought, can I ever be happy like that again? Will, will I ever um, feel sick, excited about God? Well, I, I, if God would just do this or do this or this, then when I get to church, I would just be so excited. If God would just answer this prayer, or fix this, then everything would change. And, 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 and I know what it's like to get in this spiritual rut where you just feel like life is burying you. From a distance, being planted and being buried looks the same. If I was looking at somebody 100 yards away and they dug a hole and they put something in it and they covered it back up, I would not know if it was planted or if it was buried. The way you can tell if something's been planted or if something's been buried is by what happens next. What happens after the dirt has been shoveled on you in life? What happens after some manure has been thrown on you? What happens after you're in this dark, lonely pit of despair? What takes place next in your life determines if you're planted or buried And you're the one that gets to decide that. God doesn't decide it for you. Satan cannot decide it for you. Your ex-spouse cannot decide it for you. And your enemies cannot decide it for you. You determine whether or not you've been planted or buried. So I have three points for you today. I'll start with the letter A. So triple A for those of you that are old. And so three A's. So here we go. So point number one is this. Anticipate. Anticipate. We should be coming to church every Sunday anticipating a miracle. You say, well, you don't know what I did yesterday. doesn't matter. You don't need to anticipate a miracle based on what you've done. you anticipate a miracle based on Jesus. That's what we anticipate. Uh, James 5:7 says the farmer waits expectantly with anticipation for the harvest. I can actually tell, By some of y'all, and I'm not going to look because then you think I'm talking about you, that y'all aren't anticipating good things. You're anticipating bad things. I can tell by the way some of you talk. You're anticipating that you're going to die of the same thing your parents died from. You're anticipating you're going to lose your business because everybody else is losing their business. You're anticipating the wrong things. We have to expect God to do great things. God meets us at our level of expectancy. He will all through the Bible. He always meets people at their level of exp- what they expect is what God always meets them at in life. I read a true story that, that freaked me out. It happened in Romania many years ago. This 46 year old guy is laying in the morgue. His family already said their goodbyes. His friends, they paid their condolences. They did all you know, paid their respects, all that. And the family didn't have enough money for a funeral. So they said, we're just going to you know, bury him tomorrow, cremate him, whatever it is. So he's in the morgue. It's the middle of the night. And something astonishing happens. He wakes up. He looks around, thinks, what am I doing here? No one's there. So he gets up and he walks all the way home from the morgue there in Romania. The neighbors nearly passed out. Imagine coming through the front door, you know, hey, honey, I'm home. And the kids have already said their goodbyes and everything. They were a astu- They were just could not believe they're beside themselves. And what happened was he was almost buried alive. The doctor who signed the death certificate said he had no pulse, no vital signs. They discovered he had fallen into a temporary diabetic coma. When I read that, I told my wife, you better make sure. You wait three days just in case Jesus wants to do something great in my life. Because I got life insurance a few months ago, and I could see her being like, he's either sleepy or y'all should go ahead and come get him now, you know. I'm just kidding, she wouldn't do that. But anyway, how many times in life do we feel like we're getting buried alive? Everyone's given up on you. You may have given up on you, but that doesn't mean that God has given up on you. The whole world may say that you're buried and God can still raise that dream to life. God can still raise that relationship. He can still raise that desire to life. Uh, Matthew 17, 20 talks about if we have faith the size of a mustard seed. And uh, when we read this, we put a lot of emphasis on how much faith we have, right? That's what we, we, we preach it all the time and I've preached it before. But for a second, I want you to just put a whole bunch of emphasis on the mustard seed part. A mustard seed is so small you can't even grasp it with your fingers. You can put that thing in the ground and put soil that is a hundred times the weight of the mustard seed on top. You can walk all over. People can just walk all over that thing. But because it has the life of God on the inside, sooner or later that seed opens up and sprouts and it comes up against all odds, against all odds, against all science. The thing breaks through the ground and produces something beautiful in life. Okay, if that's what a mustard seed can do, Luke 8.11 says the word of God is a seed. First Peter 2, 20, 1 Peter one twenty three. you have new life through the incorruptible seed of the word of God. What this means is if you feel hopeless in life. If you feel like life is burying you, if you feel like something's ended and you don't know what to do, if you'll get not a don't swallow a mustard seed, if you'll get the word of God on the inside of you, it never dies. It never dies. So the minute you feel hopeless, if you will put that seed on the inside, I promise you, you will come out better off. You will not stay buried in the ground if you put that if you put the word of God on the inside of you. You know, that seed When it's in the ground, it's so dark. And it's just so lonely. And the seed can't see any light. The seed thinks, I can't believe they put me in this ground. And the dirt says, man, I got you covered. You'll never get out of this. But the seed knows something that the dirt may not know. And that is on the inside, there's life that cannot be stopped. In Genesis 1-5, it talks about when God created the light. He called it day, the darkness, night. And it says the evening... In the morning were the first day. Then it says the evening and the morning were the second day. And on and on it goes. It's so interesting. God started his day in the dark. Even we do this in America. Now, you know, all over the world. At 1159 p.m. It's dark outside. It's been a full day. And if you go outside and you don't have a watch or a phone to tell you that times change, you wouldn't even know it by the way it looks. When it goes to 12 midnight or 12.01 a.m., you would not know it passed from p.m. to a.m. because nothing's changed. It's still just as dark as it can be. And the reason I think it's symbolic that God did this because it would take no faith if God started things in the light. If God started his day when the birds chirped and the sun rose, it wouldn't take any faith at all. But God is saying when it looks dark in your life, by faith, faith, you have to see the sun shine. By faith, you have to imagine that clock going from 11.59 p.m. to 12 o'clock a.m. You have to believe in faith that it's a new day. You have to anticipate the sun shining even when everything looks dark in life. Second Corinthians 5.7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. That means you can expect and anticipate good things whether you see it or not. Mark 10:40. This is a way better sermon than y'all are saying amen to. Amen. But you know what? I'm gonna cuss at you in a little bit. I'm just kidding. You'll see. You'll see. Mark 10:46. When Jesus and his disciples were leaving the city, his bl- three bees, a blind man named Bartimaeus was by the road begging. But when he heard that it was Jesus, when he heard, listen, Bartimaeus was in the dark. He couldn't see anything. He had never seen. Jesus opened up blind eyes. He had never seen Jesus cause a lame man to walk. He had never seen Jesus bring a miracle to pass. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. But the Bible says when he heard Jesus, when he heard the word of God, not even knowing what would happen, he shouted, Jesus have mercy. And Jesus did not say, here I come Bartimaeus and walk over to him. As blind as a bat as he was, in the middle of the dark, it was p.m. in his life. Jesus said, you come to me. I love the fact that Bartimaeus had to have enough faith to move only by the sound of the voice of God. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about when it comes to expecting. Now, verse 50 says, he threw away his coat. He jumped up. He wasn't healed yet. Listen, he wasn't healed. He got up expecting Jesus to do what he heard Jesus could do for him. So he threw away his coat and he jumped up in the dark and went to Jesus. Now, that coat here is very important. In this particular area, in this region, the government, if somebody had a legitimate disability, the government would issue them a beggar's coat. The beggar's coat was extremely valuable. It's how they made their living. A beggar's coat allowed them to never have to work. They could sit on the side of the road and do nothing and get what they needed in life. They wouldn't get what they wanted, but they would get what they needed. So it's very valuable. On the other hand, the beggar's coat labeled you as someone with a disadvantage. It labeled you as a person... Who could have a self-pity party and it'd be okay. It labeled you as somebody who was allowed to live discouraged, depressed, and not expect anything new. But when he heard the voice of Jesus, he threw away his excuse. He threw away his reason for staying down. And he said, you know what? I am not going to bury myself here. I am planted. And he jumped up, jumped up and went to Jesus Good excuses prevent godly expectations. If you're here today and you are not expecting God to do amazing things in your life, I bet you have a really good excuse. Well, I did this wrong, or this hasn't happened, or the economy's doing this, or who knows who's going to be present. Those are good excuses, and they will always stop godly expectations. So Bartimaeus jumps to his feet, and in verse 52, Jesus said this. He did not say... My power did this. No, we know it was the power of God, but that's not what he said. He said, your faith, your faith healed you. And immediately he received His sight. He jumped up, blind as a bat, walked into Jesus, blind as a bat, gets there. And then, then when he gets to Jesus, Jesus said, you know what? Your faith. What you anticipated is exactly what you got. So number one, anticipation. Number two is this Attitude. <laughs> For heaven's sake, some of y'all, change your attitude. Man, a lot, I bet you work with people that you want so bad for them to be in this sermon right here for the next two minutes. You sorry thing. You're 45 years old. Put on your big boy underoos. Change your attitude and do your job. Be glad you got a job. If you have a bad attitude, then quit and let somebody else have the job. If you have a bad attitude in church, go to the Baptist church. We need the seats available for us. I have worked with some of the most anointed, talented, and gifted people in the body of Christ in Horry County. And the one thing that stops them is their attitude. Listen, send me somebody that's dumb as a rock, cusses like a sailor, and has all kinds of addictions. But has a good attitude, I'll take them any day. Any day. Attitude's everything. Uh, Job had so many bad things happen to him in Job 14:13. He said this, God, just bury me. Life's so bad, the dirt's been thrown on me and it wasn't fair, so just bury me. Now listen, that's chapter 14. Chapter 42, he changes his attitude and everything changes in life. He gets restored, God bless him. Listen, you might be in chapter 14 today. If you don't change your attitude by the time you leave this service and get home, because your attitude affects the atmosphere of your home. You can have a family that's having dinner and everyone's so happy and this one person comes in the room and the whole thing, that's what it feels like, right? You want to say, just take your food and go to your bedroom and eat it." You know what it's like. Okay, listen. Chapter 42, everything changes. If you're in chapter 14 and you don't change your attitude, believe me, you'll get to chapter 15 and everything will be the same. 16, everything will be the same. Everything will be the same. The rest of your life, you might as well just be buried like Job if you're not going to change your attitude. Um, I was reading this... um, Yale and Harvard, these professors got together to do this kind of experiment. They didn't um, publish it uh, because of some of the names or something, but some students got a hold of it. Here's what they did. They they got professors that had been at Harvard and Yale for more than 20 years and they took their first few years of students and they got all the A and B students who had bad attitudes their years at at, at school. I mean these A and B students, they were very intelligent. They excelled on paper, and their only goal was to take care of themselves. They didn't help other kids study, they didn't thank any professors, they weren't kind, they were in and out, what can I do to excel? And they looked at their life 20 years later, which would be now, and those AMD students, they were not failures by any means. They were rich, big house, nice car, but their families weren't very well. They weren't known in the community. Um, if they had died, if they had died that day, no one would really celebrate their life. They didn't do any big things for people. So they looked at the C students who had great attitudes. The C students who, this one, and the professors agreed. Yeah, this one did have a great attitude and this one always helped somebody else. And this one gave me a thank you note after the season was over. And this one, you know, did extra credit and was kind. So they got the C students with good attitudes. They looked at their life 20 years later. And man, they might not have all been, you know, super rich or anything like that, but they did a lot of things for the community. And people knew them and they had great influence where they lived and they helped different, you know, uh, one helped these foreign policies here and one was an advisor to the president here and things like that. So one day, the president of Yale had lunch with the president of Ohio State University. Ohio State, who had just stepped into his role, asked the Yale president who had been there for two decades, what's some advice you can give me? And the Yale president said, well, you should always be kind to your A and B students. For one day, they will return to your college and be good professors. He said, okay, that's good advice. He said, but also, you should be extra kind to your C students. For one day, they will return to your college and build you a $2 million science laboratory. (laughs) The point is this. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you have a stinky attitude, it will affect every area of your life and you will never excel. And some of you, you're blaming your bad attitude on your circumstances, but you can't blame it on that. It's something on the inside of you that has to make a choice to change. And listen. Man, I'm all for telling people about your problems and I'm all for, you know, sharing things in short group. But after you've told everybody what you're going through, just let's stop right there. Don't say it 10 times and every, don't put it on social media. I need prayers today. You need prayer every time of the month on this day. We know, come on, come on. I know, listen, when you share something, here's what you're going to share. We all know it. My ex-spouse isn't doing right to me. Um, someone at work's being nasty. I need more money. My back hurts, my butt hurts, and my dog feet on the carpet. That's everything you got to share. We know it, okay? Just say, you know, we'll pray for you. But at the end of it, you should say, you know what? But God's going to get me through this. Amen. But people are praying and prayer works. But I'm going to be okay because I've been through this before and I've come out and I'm not going to be buried here. I'm coming back out better off. Add something like that to the end of it. I talked to a lady here from our church last week on the phone. She hadn't been here since COVID due to some medical things. And she had to have her leg amputated and another surgery. And out of her entire life, this has been the worst year by far she's ever lived on planet Earth. She told me about all these things that she's going through and what the doctors say and how her husband's dealing with it. And then she said, but pastor, I'm going to be okay. It's going to come out. We're going to work it out. We have tough decisions to make, but God will get us through it. Everything's going to be fine. And in my mind, I'm thinking that's my line. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say everything will be fine. You're going to be okay. I thought she'd be cussing and bleeping and I'm so mad at God and I can't believe this has happened to me, but she's not. Because your attitude alone can determine if you get buried or if you're planted. Um, if, if you think about the Apostle Paul, let's, let's say that I announced today special prayer partners after church. The Apostle Paul from heaven is here to pray for you. The, the line would be out the door, right? We all I, I'd be over here by myself. My wife would probably come to, for me to pray for her so I don't feel bad. And everybody everybody's in Paul's line. That is until you heard Paul... So what she say? She's going to be in Paul's line too? That's messed up. <laughs> she said, John Paul. Y'all didn't hear the first part. She said, John Paul. Y'all would be in his line until you heard him pray for you. Paul, the apostle, this great man of God, trained pastors, a pastor of pastors, wrote half the New Testament. He never prayed for your problems to go away. He never prayed for God to take care of all your issues. He never prayed for all the negative things to cease and desist. He never prayed that. You know what he prayed? Colossians 1.11. I pray that you will be strengthened with the power to endure. I don't want to endure it. I want to get over it. I want it to be done. He, He would pray this. Lord, help them have a good attitude while this enemy's attacking them. Lord, give them a good attitude while they're at this job they don't like. God, give them a good attitude while they can't pay their bills. God, give them a good attitude. You know what you'd do? You'd say, you know what? I'm going to John. Paul's line over here. He prays for God to move everything out of the way. Attitude's everything. In Exodus 3.17, God told the Israelites, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and bring you up and out of your affliction. Y'all aren't buried. You're planted. Here was their response. Exodus 14.11, were there no graves in Egypt to bury us? Now listen, you think they said that because of the giants. But God said, I'll take care of the giants. You think they said that because of Pharaoh. God killed Pharaoh. You think they said that because they don't have food? God gave them food. You think they said that because they didn't have water? God gave them water. You think they said that because they didn't like the because the leaders at their church were were not? God gave them great church leaders: Caleb, Joshua, Moses. Great. Everything. Their problem was their attitude. The thing that actually buried them in the ground was their own attitude. Man, that that's everything. Everything. Nothing will ever change until you change your attitude. Everybody say amen to that. So, when I was younger, um, when I was a kid, my dad was friends with Donna Douglas, otherwise known as Ellie Mae Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. And um, in fact, one year for my birthday, she flew uh, from California to, my parents said it was for my birthday. They probably lied. She was there my birthday. She's probably there for something else though, but anyway. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, and so, one time though, we flew to California and, um, and and Ellie McClamp, Donna Douglas, she took me and some other kids horseback riding. And um, I'd never been on a horse. I mean, this, you're 10 years old and this majestic animal, you know, huge, powerful, but there were, all the other kids were girls and they were all like one or two years older than me. And so I thought, well, I can't, you know, be scared or look stupid. So yeah, I'd love to ride a horse, sounds like fun. You know, I'm used to the kind you put a quarter in. Those are the kinds I want to ride. But anyway, so I get on the horse, and Donna Douglas, she's leading the trail, and we're going through these vineyards and, you know, this beautiful scenery. And all of a sudden, my horse decides that it wants to get ahead of all the other horses. I believe it takes on the personality of the rider is what happens. I don't know. I'll stick with a Mustang. That's the kind of horse I want to drive. Anyway, and so my horse takes off, and it knocks me off. I mean, just, you know, I'm on the ground, scared to death. I mean, scared to death. I'm full of fear. I'm bloody. I'm bruised. And I just start crying. And I want my mommy and I want my mommy now. And, you know, everybody stops. And all the other girls, they were all expert riders. They lived there on this, you know, on this this property. And so um, Donna Douglas gets off her horse and she picks me up. She brushes me down and, you know, to make sure I'm not bleeding too bad. And I said, Okay. I'm going to put you back on the horse. And i would never cussed yet up until my life. I've never said a cuss. I thought one. But actually, I actually remember thinking this. I'll never watch Beverly Hillbillies ever again because of this right here. I'll watch Gilligan's Island. I'll watch The Addams Family. I'll even watch The Munsters. But I'm not watching, you know, your, your show again. And I said, I don't want to get back. I said, no, you got to get back. I said, I don't want to get back on the horse. I want to go to my mom. And she said this. If you don't get on the horse right now. You're going to develop a fear and you'll never ride a horse again. To which I thought, fine with me. We're on the same page. Like, we agree on something there. She picked me up and she forced me to get back on the horse. Within five minutes, I was totally fine. Dried my tears. I continued on the journey and I made it back home to where my my parents were at. Here's the point I want to tell you. We need people in our life Who will not allow us to stay down? If you got somebody in your life that's okay with your bad attitude, and they're okay with you living however you want to live, and they're okay with you doing whatever you want to do in life, that's not a biblical friend. A friend should sharpen you. A friend should say, Your attitude sucks, I love you, but you're getting back on the horse and you're going forward. I'm not going to let you stay down. I'm not going to let you come to church with this attitude. I'm not going to let you go to work. You're not going to live in this house with this attitude. I love you too much. Because your attitude can ruin your whole life. You're getting on the horse and we're going and finishing our journey. First Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled. Bad company can destroy the good things in you. Now listen real close. I know some of you all are thinking, That's a good scripture, but it doesn't apply to me. Because you think this. I'm too spiritual. I love Jesus too much. That person does not affect me. You know, I know they don't serve God. I know they don't love Jesus, but they're not affecting You can listen real close. Look at the first part of the scripture. Don't be fooled. That's a really big... When you see that in the Bible, it's saying you can be fooled. No, I can't be... No, no, it just said you can be fooled. No, not me. It just said don't be fooled. So in five years, when you come back to me and say, you know what? You were right. I... Started hanging out with those kids and I thought they were the popular ones and man, it just messed things up. And go, I'm going to say to you, I told you, don't be fooled. Lame people can't help lame people get up. Addicted people can't help addicted people get free. Negative people can't help negative people be positive. You need to find somebody that has qualities that you want. And you need to beg them to hang out with you. I mean, please. I don't care if they're... You know, I hear this thing all in churches I hear. And, and not, not to be rude. But I hear people that are around my age or in their 30s. And they say, we're looking for a church that has a lot of people our age. You know, that, that, that's fine. I understand that. But listen. Sometimes you don't need to hang out with people your age. You need to hang out with wiser people. Smarter people. People that have a great marriage. Love God. Faithful tithers. You need to find some old people like Bob and Cindy. And you need to take them out to dinner if that's what it takes to let them rub off on you. Yeah. Find somebody like that. People your age, you need to be thankful if you don't get invited to those parties. <laughs> you know, um, uh, our yard at home is perfectly manicured. We have a great landscaper, and I have a vegetable garden. I have fruit trees and all this. And everything looks beautiful. But in our driveway, you know where they put those slits in the concrete when they, when they do your driveway? The conditions in those little slits, they're they're very unfavorable. It's it's, it's, it's hard ground, it's dry. And I've never had an oleander grow out of that driveway. I've never had an azalea bush start to bloom. I've never had a beautiful rose. Do you know what grows in those cracks in the driveway? Weeds. Weeds. (laughs) Do you know why? Because the soil around you determines what you grow into if you tell me you're planting, you better make sure the soil around you is people with a good attitude or else you're going to turn into a weed and not the good weed, the bad weeds. The kind that you don't want growing in your garden. <laughs> some of you are like, which one is, I don't know which one that is. Okay, so point number three is this, action. Action. I'm going to be holding on y'all for a second. Some of y'all are some lazy Christians. You need to come to church and lift your hands whether we ask you to or not. You need to come to church and sing with your whole heart whether you know the words or not. You need to put some money in the offering box because some of you have never in your life given money to something other than yourself. Put some action behind your back. Join the church for heaven's sakes. What are you waiting on? I'm not going to preach your funeral if you're not a member of this church. I'll tell you that way ahead of time. I got too much on I me, mean, too many kids, and too much work to preach people's funeral who did not have enough effort to join the body and serve the body. And when you come to church, don't look to do things that show off how anointed you are. I'm just the greatest teacher ever. That's fine. We need you to clean the bathrooms for us today. Well, I'm just the most anointed singer we've ever had. We need you to take out the trash. You can sing the whole way from the garbage can inside to the garbage can outside. And if you get somebody to help you, then they can hear you sing. (laughs) Do something. Get some seed in the ground. Uh, Joshua 8, 1 says, don't be discouraged about what happened in the past. If you get up, which is the natural part, God will give you the victory, which is the supernatural part. You don't have to give yourself the victory. You just got to get up out of bed and do something for somebody. You just got to lift your hands. You got to get up on the inside and God will do all God will do all the rest. So um, the Apostle Paul, he was uh, in prison in an area where if you preach the gospel, you go to jail. So he was in jail for doing the right thing. He was an anointed man of God. He could preach, teach. He could train pastors. But commentaries tell us that the raw sewage system of that day ran through the prison that he was in. While he's in prison for doing the right thing, while he's standing in raw sewage, he can't give in the offering, he can't preach to a multitude, he can't pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick. What could he possibly do stuck at home in the middle of COVID with no way to get out? You know what he did? He wrote letters. If that's the only thing he had available, That's the action he put behind his faith. Standing in raw sewage, he wrote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you don't believe that for yourself, put the word you at the beginning and send it to somebody else. But do something. Put some kind of action behind it. There was this um, farmer who had this old mule who he really loved. I mean, this mule served him for many, many years. And one day the mule wasn't paying attention and it was stumbling around and it fell into a 50-foot well. It was an empty well. It had been dried up for years, but the farmer was so upset that the the, the well was too narrow to try to pull the mule out. And the farmer analyzed the situation and he thought, you know what? There's no way I can get him out. The well's not worth saving. The donkey, there's nothing I can do. And as much as I don't want to, I need to put him out of his misery. So I'm just going to have to just bury him alive. Man, this donkey is screaming for Shrek. It's just yelling, help, help, get me out of here. And all of a sudden, the donkey feels this dirt start to pile on his back. He screamed as loud as he could. I can't believe you're doing this. I served you all this time. Now this is happening to me. It wasn't even my fault. I didn't mean to. I just happened to fall in the well, throwing himself this big pity party as the dirt gets heavier and heavier on his back. All of a sudden, this brilliant idea came to the donkey. He thought, when the dirt touches my back, I'm just going to shake it off and step up. So with blow after blow, every time the dirt hit him, he would shake it off and step up. Wow, did Jesus just (laughs) right? He shook it off and he stepped up. Yes, he did. Do you know after three hours. That mule was as tired as he could be, but he was able to shake it off and step up one more time and triumphantly go over the well into a place of freedom. Amen. The dirt that tried to bury him actually saved his life because of how he responded. In life, people will shovel dirt all over you. You can be the best Christian in the world. You can Listen, and if, and if the people don't do it, The devil will do it with every mistake you make. It's up to you whether or not you're going to shake it off and step up or be buried by all those negative things in life. Last story, and I'll let you go. 2 Kings chapter 7. These four lepers are camped outside of their city of Samaria. Now, Samaria is in the middle. Great city. The lepers couldn't go in and socialize because they had leprosy. So they lived right outside the city. But the problem was what had surrounded them was the Syrian army. And what a lot of armies did back in the day and they were doing it here is they would cut off the water supply and the food supply. So after the city that they were going to attack after several days or several weeks, even the men would get so weak and they'd be so hungry that when the enemy came and attacked, they'd be easy prey and they'd kill them and, and take all of their things. So you got Samaria in the middle. The four lepers on the outside and then they're surrounded by this huge evil army coming to destroy them. These four lepers are sitting there and they know, you know what? Life stinks. I mean, this is just we we knew life was already bad and now this on top of it. What are we going to do? So they're thinking we're just going to lay here and just die. I mean, life's over. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Life's going to bury us. We don't see a way out. We don't see any hope. And then one leper said something to the other three lepers that forever changed the course of their destiny in verse 3 he said why sit we here until we die let us get up and go to the Syrian camp all they had was their feet they didn't have a slingshot they didn't have a bow and arrow you might say this All they had was a mustard seed on the inside. I can imagine they probably held hands and closed their eyes. They thought, we know we're going to die if we stay here. Like, we know it. If we don't do anything and we just keep doing like we are, we know we're going to die. We might as well try to march to the enemy and just see what happens. And so they march and they march. And you only got, you know, four pairs of legs. You know, eight legs. And they are lepers at that. But in verse six, it says, as they walked toward the enemy camp, the Lord made supernaturally the Syrians hear the sound of horses and chariots and a mighty army on the march. God multiplied their footsteps. It's all they had to give. When we get up in faith, God will multiply whatever we have. If you want to see the supernatural, you got to get your butt up and do the natural first. If you'll do your part, God will do his part. Now, for those of you that love the King James Version of the Bible, this last scripture is just for you. In verse 7, it says the Syrians fled for their lives. They left their silver, their gold, their clothes, their tents, their horses. They were so scared, they left their asses behind. I mean, you gotta be afraid to do that. I've never seen anybody run that fast. (laughs) Their natural action caused a supernatural reaction from Almighty God. So listen, here's your choices. You can either bury your ass like that farmer, you can run in fear and leave your ass behind like the Syrians, or you can get your ass up and go forward in Jesus' name fulfilling your destiny. And with every step of the way, you can tell that devil to kiss your anticipation, attitude, and actions. (laughs) Because you are planted, not buried. Amen.